You are listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast, a podcast where a couple friends sit and talk around the fire after everyone else has gone to bed. Grab a drink and join us as we discuss everything from famous explorers, artificial intelligence, and what is the meaning of life. Men of genius sometimes accomplish the most when they work the least. That's a quote by Italian painter Giorgio Vasari. And today we're going to talk about nothingness, boredom, and what that does for you and your body and your mind and all of that stuff, why it's important. Before we get into that, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Well, uh, I think Nick, as usual, we bit, we bit off more than we could chew, but luckily I have some vodka on ice with me. And what about you? What are you drinking and how are you doing? I am drinking assorted leftover beers, and uh, I don't know because it's in a koozie, and, uh, other than some Kona and some Coors, so a little bit of everything. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> well, you said it, nothingness. That's a very simple but complex thing. And it's got many different sides to it. I mean, on one hand, you have absolute nothingness. You have nihilism, which we're not going to be really talking about this episode. It's its own separate episode. You got boredom, meditation, religion. It's all across the board. And since the ancient Greeks and Romans and probably before then, they were all discussing what boredom is, which I thought was fascinating. The Romans and Greeks had a hard time defining and coming up with a word for the sensation. I mean, Aristotle was talking about it being nauseous and leisure time and how it's important. And the Romans found it kind of disgusting, this uneasy feeling of restlessness while doing nothing. But the word boredom didn't come around until 1852 from Charles Dickens. But boredom existed, and since... Charles Dickens came up with the word of boredom. It's been used very commonly ever since. But studying boredom, studying the psychology, I can't, I can't believe that that's such a new word. It it well, it's amazing how many words Mark Twain, Charles Dickens, the nineteenth century. It's, it's just amazing how many new words were born then. I mean, this is what eighteen fifty two, so kind of in the Industrial Revolution age, kind of brought new language to light, which is really weird to think about. I mean, think about Jules Verne. Think about how many words came from Jules Verne, like rocket and like uh, submarine, I think, also came from Jules Verne. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where words come from. I just know how to pronounce them. I do not know. I know where they come from. I don't know how to talk. So it's a, <laughs> you're the, the other half of my coin. But studying boredom didn't come around until the 1930s. And in 1938, a psychologist, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Joseph Ephraim Barmak started studying factory workers. Why factory workers? Well, like we said with the Industrial Revolution, this is like the first time people had free time or they were doing monotonous jobs where they didn't have to think. Like you weren't no longer forging steel into, I don't know, an uh, uh, axe. You were on assembly lines which kind of makes a mundane process where your mind kind of wanders. So when he was doing this research on these factories workers, he found something 
which I thought was very interesting in the 19 in the 1930s. He found that factory workers were coping with the mundaneness and the boredom with caffeine, adiphetamines, and ephedendrics. To me, that sounds exactly how we're treating boredom. We're treating it with caffeine, aphromatics, and amphetamines. Like how many people you know that drink coffee when they're tired because we'll get into it later, but tired and boredom are tied in together. How many people are taking uh, drugs to stay awake or keep themselves occupied or they attempt to take drugs just because they're bored? They've been doing that since their early 20th century. Yep. Still, I mean, so many people, especially like I know for me, this comes to mind of like wildland firefighting. Can of chew seen on like almost every wildland firefighter just because it is an exciting job, but it's also boring and you need something to just keep you present because a lot of times you're waiting, you're driving, you're doing like you're just not doing stuff where your mind is there or at the same time you're working late and you need to stay awake. Yeah. So this definitely is familiar. My side, I only drink coffee in the morning when I get up like before four in the morning and, uh, but sometimes, like, if I have a good enough podcast, I don't even drink the coffee. Like, if I have something to keep my mind going, then, yeah, I don't need Are you telling uh, me my gravitational lens and my space and physics don't keep you awake, Nick? That's correct. <laughs> but the, just to clarify, the main reasons for boredom, from which I can tell with scientific articles, because I don't know if you had the same problems with researching this, Nick, is there's a lot of conflicting information, a lot of different studies conducted, which... I'm not the biggest fan of of like how the studies were conducted. But for the most part, the main reasons I saw for boredom were mental fatigue, too easy tasks, different brain structures, such as uh, like adrenaline junkies, and the need for external stimulation. Those were what I could see the main categories of it. Um, another one I want to throw in there is mental diseases because it's kind of hard to tell if boredom comes from mental disease or disease comes from boredom it's uh yeah it's kind of hard to figure out what came first the chicken or the egg yeah and i think it's it's kind of interesting too like you can kind of get a lens like when they're studying boredom you can kind of see like how they're viewing it like kind of you talked about the greeks and the romans like the romans like boredom was uh, a sin as opposed to a virtue yeah they it, Greeks thought sometimes leisure was a good thing for your mind, and uh, Romans thought it was, like you said, it's sin. I think that's a perfect word for it. Yeah, and I kind of saw that in some articles where it was, like, uh, talking about boredom and what it does to you, but then now, after listening to you talk about, like, the kinds of boredom, kind of like, really what they were describing was, like, it's not that bored people tend to be like less happy it's that bored people have like these like uh i forgot what the forgot the word you said but like as um a job that just like took them you know took a lot of mental exertion mental fatigue people come mental fatigue yeah and they're just bored at the end of the day because they're just like done and it's not that they're unhappy because they're bored it's just you know they're bored because their their job took a lot of mental fatigue. Not necessarily that boredom caused that. I think I don't know. 
I'm on a tangent. It's not making sense. Let's move on. No, it kind of makes sense to me. Like for some jobs I've had, like you're, you haven't really used your body, but you used your mind all day. Your body wants to keep going, but your mind's like, no, we're, we're good. Or vice versa, where you use your body all day and your mind wants to keep going, but your body's like, uh, we're just going to lay here, but gives you the ability to think. But speaking, sticking with workers, uh, I thought it was interesting. Workers are 2.5 times in the United States more likely to call in sick on days that they expect to have a light workload. And which was really interesting to me is scientists conducted a space experiment, space Nick, so don't get too bored, don't start yawning. Uh, they conducted this experiment on Earth, so there's dirt, don't worry about that, Nick, uh, about isolation. These scientists lived alone on the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Stimulation Experiment. And the test subjects said their biggest problem with this isolation, trying to figure out how long-term tra- space travel affects humans, their biggest complaint and their biggest hurdle was boredom. The mind is a powerful thing, and when work, like, work people need to work. People need to be challenged and tasked, and when the worker isn't, I, or you overwork the brain, you're just checked out. It's it, you can drive yourself mad. Yeah, and I wanted to say, like your brain, how much it works. So your brain uses twenty percent of the energy that comes into your body. So one fifth of every calorie, one fifth of what you eat, goes to powering your brain, and it. It has like a, it's going to consume, a, you know, the same over time. And when you're going through puberty, it consumes even more, like up to 40% of the energy going into your body. Like your brain is always working whether you're, you know, bored or not. Uh, it's very funny you said going through puberty. Uh, I want to point this out as we get into the podcast. Boredom is not just bad. We will get to the good parts of it. It turns out boredom can actually be very good healthy and important for not only for yourself but for society but a huge problem with boredom in children and teens is boredom can affect uh academic performance uh has uh, ties with high school dropout rates in the united states mistakes on jobs and depression which i thought was very interesting of course i don't know if boredom ties to depression for teens or it's just the school system being making people depressed because that's a that's a that's another chicken or egg kind of scenario little little column a little column b (laughs) but i it's amazing to me nick how boredom gets a bad name but sometimes how how often do people pray for oh i'm just so busy i just want a day to relax and do nothing i just want all the time i just want (laughs) i just want to turn off my brain Boredom, I think, is another synonym for nothingness, along with meditation, along with praying. I, I, I think these are all the same thing, just different aspects and faces of it. And I think it's your mindset of what you're going into it. Because what I thought was very interesting is this is a little bit older uh, study. I think it's probably heavily changed along with technology because of technology and COVID. But in 2014... From the University of Virginia, they found that people don't like spending anywhere from 6 to 15 minutes with themselves. So from 6 to 15 minutes, they have a hard time doing nothing. They need to be on their phone. They need to be tasked. They need to do something, which that's a little scary to me of uh, you can't be alone in a room with yourself and do nothing. I mean, 
I can't do that. I can't sit still for a minute, much less six of them. I got to be doing something. And yeah, I think we'll get into it later, but I guess I'm kind of changing my opinion on doing nothing, but at the same time, not. But uh, I mean, just think I, when I'm concentrating on something, I'm already fidgeting with something. Like, I feel like people As are just, I play with a pen in my hand. <laughs> yeah, you need to do something to, I don't know, necessarily keep your mind busy, but just like, I feel like your your body just wants to go and you got to give it something to play with. So I actually saw something very interesting that might explain that. I couldn't see any proof, but I think it's the running theory of why we don't like boredom or like sitting still or doing nothing. It's a survival instinct of our ancestors of, hey, we have free time. We could be doing something better for our survival, looking for more food, making more shelter, doing something, which is kind of like... It, it, that's probably why we don't like sitting still. It's like, oh, we could be doing something. We should be doing something. We should be doing something. Which is interesting to me because we're not the only animals who get bored. Dogs get bored. Cats get bored. Horses get bored. But I don't think I've ever seen a cat care that it's bored. Like like humans, we fidget. We constantly think of what we're going to do next. We plan. We talk. We. Uh, I mean, I wonder how many mistakes have been made by people simply because they were bored. They just wanted to see what would happen, or they made a mistake on a job, or et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that was the interesting theory I saw, Nick, was people don't like boredom simply because of a survival instinct of, hey, we could be doing something right now to better chance our survival rate. I, I think that there's probably a point in there. I'm just kind of curious how you why you wouldn't see it with other animals as much. Like you said, they get bored, but it's I think it's more of cultural on our end than it is evolutionary the view views on boredom well it is interesting like i mean dogs have known been thrown to throw tantrums like they'll chew up something if they're something maybe bored or something like that cats but, will knock glasses off the, the i don't edge. think they're doing that because they're bored i think that they're doing it because they think it's hilarious yeah I, probably a little column a little column <laughs> what goes into a cat's mind i have no idea and no one will ever know but what I thought was also interesting is boredom is almost more of a male uh, phenomenon or like the idea of not being able to, uh, the idea of doing nothing tends to affect men more than women. Uh, let, hear me out before you say I'm crazy. At the University of California. I mean, I agree with you, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 Was, I was making sure I wasn't digging my own grave. It's okay. No, we're too small to cancel anyhow. At the University of California. They found that people don't like being in their own heads. Uh, researchers left a group alone with a button. This button would shock the person alone. And uh, rather than be bored, there was a significant amount of people who would press the button rather than just be bored. Even though they said before going to the room that they would not cause themselves physical pain. But they would rather shock themselves than be bored. But the numbers were I thought was interesting. In the study... 67% of the men shocked themselves. Only 25% of the women shocked themselves. Somehow none of the study surprises me. I am not surprised by the results. I mean, what you're telling me is is men don't like being bored more than women, and men are more willing to hurt themselves, which I feel like is established science. Well, I don't know. I mean, know. maybe not the being bored part, but definitely the hurting themselves. Well, I found it interesting how we cope our different sexes cope with boredom. I'm wondering if women have a better handling mentally of boredom inside their own heads than men. Oh, probably. Yeah, that's definitely what's going on. 
which is very interesting to me, which makes me wonder, is that why stereotypically men are such more risk takers? Like, uh, uh, more, more general junkies are men. It's simply because we don't like a boredom. Is that, is that why we decide, Hey, we're getting any of this wooden ship and go across, <laughs> go across the, the world to find another trading route to India. Or it's like, Hey, we're going to go to space and fly stuff. Or what about just like a group of men gets drunk and a group of women gets drunk Hold uh, my beer. Know, out, <laughs> out camping. It's, the men who are jumping across the river to see if they can make it. I, I, I don't see girls doing doing that stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a boredom thing or an intelligence thing. <laughs> There's a lot going on <laughs> there, so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I just thought it was interesting that people would hurt themselves rather than be bored. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I when I worked uh, Wildland for a summer, I was so ready for every single fire as compared to sitting around doing nothing, even though that meant like inhaling smoke and working like a bunch of hours and being physically tired, it beat the shit out of sitting there waiting. That was, that's why I don't only do it occasionally now, but it's just like, oh my gosh, the boredom. I couldn't, I could not take it. Which is interesting because some boredom might be good for you. We've been shitting on boredom a lot. I'm going to bring it back into the nothingness. Um, a study conducted at the University of Central Lancashire found that being bored made people more creative. One group did nothing, and the other group did a boring task, and they the task was reading a phone book, which it might be the most boring thing ever, and, well, besides listening to politicians talk, reading the phone books out there. Uh, both groups then, after a set amount period, had to come up with many ideas with a plastic cup as possible. The people who had read the phone book, the mundane, boring task, won by a landslide. Keep coming up with different ideas of uh, how to, to make the cup into interesting things, more imaginative. Uh, I, it's almost like boredom brings out the little kid in us again with our imagination running wild. Uh, it's, boredom, might, in my opinion, might be a way to tap into our little our, uh, our innocence of, chill, of child again. Because when we were kids, we were bored all the time. And then we would figure out something like, oh, we have a tennis ball. We're bored. Well, let's go find a stick and play uh, stickball. Or, hey, we have this Lego set. And all, we, all of a sudden, we just our imagination blows up all these possibilities we could do with it. It's the daydreaming. It's the thinking. And boredom might allow us access to do that. Yeah, I definitely think that that is, that's the thing that I don't, it's hard to come to terms with of there really is a lot of benefits to being bored. Like, Again, I, I don't think boredom is the right for, for it. I think just nothingness is nothingness because is better. Yeah, because bored because I think being bored is almost like a torture, which I you know, it's funny, Nick. We did an episode where uh, about firstborns, how they're usually astronauts or successful and stuff like that. You know, it's funny uh, with people who have low tolerance for boredoms. They tend to either have high IQ. Uh, they're ambitious. They're either avoiding emotions they have depression, mental diseases, or an addiction. Uh, so uh, we have Ooh, low tolerance sorry, of boredom. There we go. <laughs> we're either a genius or we're fuck up. One of the two. You can be both. <laughs> a little column A, a little column. A lot of, lot, of, uh, lot of crossover in this episode. Yeah, pretty much. But I I, I do think it's it's kind of comes down to an everything in moderation. And that like that is everything, like including nothingness. You need some nothingness, but not too much. 
because then you'll start going crazy, but enough to get your creative thoughts flowing. Let your brain kind of work problems out on itself, not prompted. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Albert Einstein was working at a uh, patent clerk as a patent clerk when he came up with general relativity. I, I'm, I mean, Archimedes came up with water displacement while he was taking a bath. Just simply doing a mundane task, letting your mind wander, sometimes come up with great, fantastic ideas. But being constantly bored, mundane, I think that leads to the mental illness and depression. If you're not challenged, then you're, it's you're, it's it's like a it's like a work dog who all of a sudden stops working. They're they they're lost. They have no idea what to do. It's it's not good for a human brain. And cool thing with boredom or nothingness is nothingness allows us to I can't remember it off the top of my head and now I'm gonna be very upset. It allows us to do creative thinking. So an idea that is not logical, like not external, like, oh, I need to get this rock up the hill, I'll push the rock up the hill. That's kind of like external uh think thinking, very logical, very straightforward. That's that's how a dude's going to do it. But if you have something complex, like how do I convince this person to sign over into my company, that's internal thinking. Boredom tends to help with those thought processes better. It allows, in my opinion, which I want, I'll talk about in later, but I think nothingness allows the connection between consciousness and subconsciousness to communicate and talk with. So, so what you're saying is that the when your nothingness is when the thoughts in the back of your mind that you're like kind of worried about but not devoting your full attention to get to manifest out and, and get solved not exactly um so i was gonna say this later but daydreaming daydreaming to me is nothingness when you're just sitting and you're just thinking and you know your mind's in another place well usually when you dream and you're in REM sleep that's your subconscious when you're awake talking focusing that's your conscious it's very rare that you dream while you're awake, but when you are daydreaming, you get the best of both worlds. You get to see column A and column B. And I think your your subconscious knows information you don't. And you don't actively talk with your subconscious, but sometimes your subconscious talks to you, you just don't hear it. Usually it's like um like a pain you've been ignoring or you feel it in your sleep when you're processing information. Daydreaming when you do nothing allows it to kind of open up a little bit allow your body your consciousness to focus on your subconscious so they can talk back and forth that's my hypothesis of it i mean how many like shower thoughts going back to archimedes uh shower thoughts are a real thing which i love because i have lots of shower thoughts uh it's a real keep that to yourself mike you can always join me group group hug in the shower nick group hug in the shower uh when a shower you are relaxed, doing something mundane, you're comfortable, your mind can wander, so that's where you get that eureka moment. That's nothingness. That's your brain kind of turned off in autopilot. A kind of, to me, almost a connection between your conscious and subconscious allow you to think abstractively to solve a solution or come up with an idea. It's, uh, I mean, Nick, how many times have you tried to do something and you're not completely getting it or not coming up with the right idea, but you walk away and come back at it with fresh eyes? Or you let it sit on a couple a couple days and it comes to it, you? It depends. If uh, my wife is listening to the podcast, no, that's never happened to me. But if she's not, then yeah, that's 
that's what happens. And the only <laughs> reason I say that is because she's always like, you just need to take a break. Oh, that's... And I can't. And I can't stop. That, that's the worst. You should, When someone says to take a break or someone says to calm down, that never works. It's the opposite effect. But, I mean, even Steve Jobs said, "I'm a," and I quote, I'm a big believer in boredom. All this stuff is wonderful, but having nothing to do can be wonderful too. I mean, how many idiosms come from it? Like, stop and smell the roses. Uh, it's just... Uh, absolutely amazing i mean uh what's the quote from confucius uh learning without reflection is a waste reflection without learning is dangerous yeah be able to process what you give your brain time to process what you learned oh yes uh but before we get into more happier thoughts with daydreaming meditation and nothingness i want to stick on the the bad taste of boredom that most people are familiar with because boredom can increase mental illness or emphasize mental illness or vice versa mental illness can increase the amount of boredom boredom can create new addictions make relapses in addiction so alcoholism so me and nick are definitely not alcoholics at all so uh we have no we have no worry about that but uh simply being bored makes you want to try more drugs jump to do something to occupy your time yeah i definitely see that well, that's like uh, when on a, uh, not talking anything specific, but generally, as unemployment increases, drug use increases along with it. Yeah, I mean, escapism comes to my mind when you're bored. You're trying to. I mean, if people don't want to spend sixty, fifteen minutes alone with their mind. I mean, how quickly do people reach for their phones when they're bored? How people do they look through a quick video or? tweet something or read a quick article when they're bored rather than just sit and do nothing it's oh yeah well it's like when you're at the doctor's office and you're waiting and you're like you read all the magazines three times over and you and it's like you feel like it's tacky to be on your phone but you're just like the desire to do something is just burning that's that's a perfect word for it the tackiness of it i've definitely done that at like waiting for my car to be repaired or something it's also interesting. I came. Sorry, I keep naming off all these studies. I just, I went, I went down the rabbit hole. And my tail got a little uh, dirty. A study of two thousand people found how adults are how much, how often adults are being bored in a year, not days, not hours. It was months. The average adult in America, t- on average, tends to be hundred and thirty-one days that they were bored or not ha- or didn't have a fun day. 131 days. And in that same study, they found that 60% of adults believe their life is too, quote-unquote, grown up, and 73 miss aspects of their childhood. Yeah, I mean, I think the aspects that we're missing from childhood is the lack of responsibilities, if I had to guess. But Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised the 73% wasn't higher, but the, quote-unquote, grown up, I mean, when we were kids, how I mean, how often do we want to say when we're, when we're grown up? Like, we kept being hoping for growing up but what got me was 131 days of boredom or not fun days that's a third of the year nick third of the year you're bored that doesn't seem healthy or right to me yeah i'm uh yeah i'm glad i don't uh this is why i don't work in an office that's all i'm gonna say about that oh god yeah i that's mm, that's uh that's interesting but uh, 
sorry, sorry if I'm jumping all over the place, but I want to bring back to something you said with with sleep, which I thought was very interesting too. Okay, I do want to say I definitely agree that there is a lot of boredom in, in our society, and I used to be, you know, and talk about you know the way you look at it. I was very much like, if you're bored, it's your own damn fault. Like every day is an adventure, and I. Like, I can't relax until I've done something for the day, whether I, like, did something that I needed to do or, like, gone out and did a hike or something. Very rarely do I have, like, a day where I don't do anything. And, uh, but I definitely, like, think I need that, especially now where it's like, okay, I, my brain needs some time to, to chill out. And, but it's still, like, the society part of me is like, what do you mean? You, you haven't done anything today? Like, are you a loser, you know? So even, like, understanding the importance, uh, there's still, I think, a very big pressure to to uh, maybe, I don't know where it's coming from, but, like, to do something. Like, you, like, to fight boredom. Not even to fight boredom, but just to be productive. Uh, I completely agree. I also think it's a very dangerous dual-edged sword because it's almost a habit of if you miss like how how often nick where you get on a trend where you're working out every single day and then you miss a day here and it turns into two days and then it turns into three days and the next thing you know you haven't worked out for a couple of weeks and then you got to go back and you're pretty much back at square one it's yes yeah it's i'm not gonna lie i feel so shitty when i don't work out and i don't get some tasks accomplished it's we almost need like a progression bar at humanity and sometimes it makes us feel like we're not doing anything but sometimes not doing anything is exactly what we need but it's a dual-edged sword just i i honestly i don't know what's more dangerous uh being a sloth or running yourself into the ground Uh, i mean don't get me wrong i think you should work hard towards your goals and dreams but if you're working hard the wrong direction or you're just working hard simply because your anxiety doesn't let you relax i think that's just as unhealthy as being a sloth yeah i definitely agree and and it's kind of weird too how i think society does recognize that because i mean we'll say like okay like you're burning the candle at both ends like you need to take a break like we recognize when people are being overworked and there's still, you know, that sign of, of that being a virtue. And I think that's kind of changing. But at the same time, it's not. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I, f- I feel like there is a recognition that you can't continually work like that. But there's also an expectation that you continually work like that. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's both. I think it's depending on what work you do. Like, if you're doing uh, work for other people, like you're, I don't know, running a charity and you're working... 20 hour days and stuff like that it's like hey sometimes you gotta be selfish and do to worry about you but if it's something that needs to be done you're like a lot of people just say suck it up and power through it i think it's just dependent on the scenario but i think both aspects of your statement are true nick yeah well you're gonna talk about sleep before i interrupted you no i mean it's very good thing it's something i personally struggle with of Letting boredom get to me, where I think it's kind of a snowball effect, where you become more bored. Uh, your like your sloth leads to more laziness, and also vice versa. Working so hard makes you want to keep working hard, and but 
might be working hard in the wrong direction. It's, uh, it's very hard to get a yin-yang balance going. But the Nucleus Acupenis. Boy, I love scientific terms. Can't even speak English, and they're throwing Latin at me. It's, uh, it's part of the brain, which is responsible for motivation, reward, and it's also part of the slow-wave sleep. So it'll send slow-wave signals throughout the brain to go, you know, sleep. This, my, I'm thinking it's because, you know, motivation, reward gets you hyped up. It also has to bring you back down. But this part of the brain has activity of sleepiness and boredom. So when you're bored or you're, which I thought was, this is also kind of interesting. When you're aroused but not satisfied, so it means you get no sexual release. The neurons in this area release and in Norshire. So this is, this is mostly a study on women, I'm guessing. (laughs) That's why women are always tired. They're never, they're never getting sexual satisfaction. Uh, well, anyhow, the, nucle- the neurons release this chemical into the nucleus accumbius, which introduces slow-wave sleep, which makes you more tired. And that's where the, the correlation between being tired and bored come from. So you're not getting rewarded. You're not getting motivated. So your brain's just like, okay, we'll send out these waves since we're not filling column a or column b and we start to kind of get tired it's it's honestly kind of like a cat or a dog it's like hey we're not playing right now we're not eating right now let's go take a nap at least that's how i play it in my head yeah i i get get what you're saying that there's you gotta you basically what you're saying is you gotta be active when you're not uh unless you're doing something really important otherwise it's like time to go to bed I just want to point that out there, but I want to go back to what you said, how boredom is almost like taboo in our society. Uh, you just made me think of a quote that you're probably familiar with, is idle hands are the devil's plaything." Yep. I, I mean, it's so, I'm not sure if that's from a tribe society of, hey, this person's not doing anything, they're not helping us out, they're bad, they're evil, I mean, that's part of where boredom is frowned upon. Because, like you said, Nick, uh, when someone says they're bored, uh, a lot of common phrases is like, how can you be bored? There's so much to do. Well, there's a, there's a difference between there's so much to do and also the motivation behind it. I mean, if you're chemically in balance or you're overwhelmed, anxiety-ridden, it's kind of hard f- to take that first step. And that first step would lead you out of boredom. I just, I just find it weird that boredom is so taboo. Yeah, and I think it is, I think it probably has a part in our past i mean with the puritan work ethic and and then even like settling the west like there's a lot of times in u.s history where you couldn't afford to to not work like you had to be doing something to survive and even then i think that the nothingness that you get like you still got that nothingness i mean look at uh like washington would his nothingness when he'd go and just like ride around his property Look like at religion. Lincoln, On the seventh yeah. day, he relaxed or took the day off or whatever the phrasing is. Rested, I believe. Rested. There you go. I'm, yep, yep. <laughs> sure. That's that's probably the terms for it. I, don't quote me on that, but sounds right. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's, uh, to ma- even the best take vacations and travel and stuff like that. Even the best once in a while have to pull 
back a little bit. I mean, like you said, Nick, but I think that's a perfect phrase. Burn the candle at both ends. Uh, run yourself into the ground. It's uh, sometimes pulling back and doing nothing is the best thing for you. Yeah, uh, I. It's like uh, it's like medicine that uh, was it bad tasting medicine. It's like you need it and it's good for you, but you just don't want to do it. Well, I think it's becoming less taboo, and I think it's a they added a new candy flavor to the medicine because the Westerners are picking up on it meditation it's another type of boredom another type of nothingness but it seems to be less taboo seems to be people more supportive of it even though to me meditation is just choosing boredom rather than having it forced upon you uh but meditation boy that has tons of benefits and i don't know about you nick i would love to transition from the word boredom into the word meditation yeah let's do that Uh, i definitely agree with you it's definitely becoming i wouldn't say like an everyday word but it's definitely go- getting into places and circles where traditionally you never would have seen it. Oh, yes. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to argue that point later on, but uh, I think it's different horse with uh, same horse with a different name. Oh, completely agree. But yeah. Uh, um, but meditation, I have a little hist- history lesson. It's mainly been an Eastern thing. Um, monks, uh, Hindus, I mean, all those faiths for so long have been practicing meditation and relaxation and self-reflection and westerners were kind of slow on the draw on that but it's becoming more and more into our lives i mean let me just name off the uh, really quick the benefits meditation has it can reduce stress help control anxiety promote emotional health help self-awareness lengthen attention span reduce age related memory loss generate kindness improve sleep decrease blood pressure and reverse heart disease also increase your immune system that's a that's a magic pill of doing nothing. Is that the ultimate placebo? Doing doing nothing is good for you. Yeah, that's like oh, what's the what's the meaning to the answer to what's what's the meaning of life? Forty two. <laughs> oh, I need to reread those books and watch that movie again. Yeah, it's it is crazy. So I don't uh, I have a feeling we may have looked at some of the same stuff here but did you come across a comparison of monk brains versus normal brains not all right so not in this research but in a book i read uh about a year ago i saw very interesting things it wasn't has to do with meditation exactly it had to do with breathing techniques which is part of meditation which was uh i think tibetan monks they were they were looking at with their breathing techniques which i thought was really interesting it's similar to box breathing in the military you know four whole seconds stuff like that it's also very similar to almost every religion in the world. Every religion has like the home or the prayer or uh, some some saying, and they all seem to match the breathing pattern, which is very interesting. And that breathing pattern tends to relax the brain. And to add on to that before I throw it back to you, Nick, I mean, I imagine the brains are rewired differently because like I said, meditation generates kindness. What that means is meditation tends to make you more empathetic, makes you more relatable to other human beings, make you more care emotionally about human beings, which I thought was strange, but also completely makes sense. Yeah. So I was reading this study about Tibetan monks, and they basically compared, they had a control group of just like normal Americans, some who meditated, some who didn't, and then they- Yogis? Used (laughs) some, but some- just like control people like just did not meditate at all you know could have done some other form of meditation but never 
sat down with the intention to meditate. They put together all these these brain scans and compared, and they're all different age groups. And so they scan like all these, I think there's like over 100 or so people. I can't remember exactly how many I'm looking for it right now, but they did all these brain scans with an age. And then they basically made a model for like how your brain ages because your brain changes over time. You know, when you're a little kid, it changes and, you know, as, obviously as you go through puberty and, and continues to change, changes the amount of, you know, gray matter and the shapes and blah, 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 based on experiences. And it's always changing. Um, and so they modeled it in this program so that you could put a brain in and it would give you like a brain age of basically how old is your brain that's and, weird to think about for some reason to me like you can you could judge a brain like you can judge a tree's age with uh, with rings yeah you just cut it open and count the rings <laughs> um so basically what they found out is that the monk's brain and the monk uh I'm going to read a little bit about him for you. Let me go scroll up to the... Okay. A, I'm not going to pronounce his name, but we're going to use the abbreviations YMR. Is a Tibetan Buddhist monk and renowned meditation practitioner and teacher who has spent an extraordinary number of hours of his life meditating. Um, and so when the Tibetan monks meditate, they basically try and become the most compassionate person they can be. So they like really focus on charismatic, compassionate thoughts. So his brain matured early. So when everyone else was still maturing, the monk's brain was already mature. But then after that, it didn't age. So once it was quote unquote mature, it slowly like increased in age. So when he was at 41 years old, his brain resembled that of a 33 year old. So you like at 14, he was his brain was 20. But then after that, it took a long time to get to like it solidified, but it took a long time to rot. Yeah. This is a dumb question. Uh, does starting at different ages from meditation affect the development of the brain? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I didn't run across anything. Mostly, most of this was on like Tibetan Buddhist monks. Like, well, the only the only reason I asked is because you said when he was thirteen, he had a brain like a twenty year old. I just didn't know if he started young or something like that. Oh, I mean, I think he was born into it. So it's uh, he he left his town at nine years old to study meditation so uh, and then at, at age 11 he went to like the harvard of meditation <laughs> i don't know how you would compare that with a with a very famous monk i guess and uh and then by the age of 12 he was like seventh in line for some you know high position damn i i wonder what his brain structure i wonder would like hallucinogens or weed even affect his brain if he's his brain is that uh, shaped. Yeah. So I guess. Sorry. So his first. Yeah. So his his first scan was at twenty seven. So not thirteen. But at twenty seven, he was uh, older. So. But yeah. So pretty much. Yeah. His, his brain was has stayed a consistent um, age. So it, it's. I think it's kind of like like a a very in shape body. You know where like you're like oh shit like that guy. There's no way that guy's fifty. You know he looks like he's you know, 30 or something kind of thing, but internal. I mean, internal, probably external. Like we said, meditation uh, increases your immune system, helps with heart disease and blood pressure. I mean, he's his body's pretty good. By by training his mind, he's helping out his body. It's, uh, <laughs> you kind of remind me of a quote from, he's a, he, uh, he's a psychologist in Chicago. His name's uh, Roger, Roger Thompson or Thompson. Some, one of the two uh, about meditation because 
There's all different types of meditations. Uh, I think you'll like his quote, Nick. And it goes, if you're feeling better at the end of it, you're probably doing it right. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like that monk's definitely doing it right. Oh, yeah. He spent his entire life getting there. Uh, which, it is interesting, though. I don't think meditation's for everybody. Uh, mainly, this is going to sound very counterintuitive, uh, certain types of anxiety. Uh, from what I can see in my research, I don't know if you came across this, Nick, is some people with certain levels of anxiety, they're, when they do meditation, it actually raises it because there are certain feelings you're not owning. There's like, uh, there's reasons why that you're not dealing with that meditation simply extubates more. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Like if you're, you know, you're very anxious, I feel like one of the worst things you can do is sit there and just try and think about something. Oh God, yeah, that's that's the word. Like, honestly, Nick, I'm, I don't know if you feel the same way I do. Is some like sometimes when it's like late at night and you just remember something dumb you did in high school, it's the fucking worst feeling. Oh yeah. Or uh, or uh, sometimes simply not doing anything, you just have to sit there and do nothing. Is to me far worse than being in the fight and getting your ass kicked or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think where you're where you're going with this is nothingness doesn't have to be like meditation, like sitting on a yoga mat with your legs crossed, you know, thinking about being the most charismatic version of yourself. I think nothingness can come from anything like uh, me personally. I think uh, the most nothingness I get is when I'm driving. Like I drive a lot for work. So I'll be driving for two hours. Sometimes you just zone out and, uh, or no, Nick, you're an attentive and focused driver. Yeah. There's no. Well, everyone's, everyone's, everyone has that where you're drive like you're driving and you're like, wait, how did I get here? <laughs> Your brain just goes into autopilot. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of different types of meditation. Yep, and like I, I think another another one that I do is fishing, which is as Ron Swanson said, it's like yoga, except I get to kill something. <laughs> Ron Swanson is your spirit animal. Uh, but I am curious though, are there certain types of activities that cannot be meditation? Like for a lot of people, exercise is therapeutic, but I don't know if you could count that as meditative. Running, on the other hand, I could see being meditative because you could turn off your brain while you run and just go on autopilot. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking meditation has to be something that you're not able to consciously think of what you're actively doing. Does that make sense? I would, I understand what you're saying, but I don't agree with it. Why? Because like one of the, an example that I have of when like you, your mind just starts zoning out and you start, you know, going into nothingness and ta- thinking about stuff really like but completely not consciously is like chopping wood, but that's still an activity where well, that's a you mundane have to like, task. Yeah, but it requires, but you have, but you have to think about where to hit the wood and what piece to grab. Like it's it's and same with fishing. It's sort of complex. Like you got to be thinking, like looking at the weather and and what's going on and what to throw, what the fish are responding to. Like they're not really like brain dead tasks but they're also not super complex if you don't pay attention you'll you'll die i almost think it's like you need that little bit like you need something for your brain to be thinking about but it's not super complicated 
So like it has time to use most of its attention on something else. I agree and disagree. So I agree with that your brain needs to focus on something else. I mean, how many meditation things uh, are all focused on breathing? Just concentrate on your breath in and out, in and out. That's you actively doing something. But I don't know. Say I'm building a bench. I wouldn't count that as meditative. I would count that as therapeutic. I think that's. I think meditative can be therapeutic, but I don't think all therapeutic things are meditative. Like, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I classify as fishing because you tend to be a more active fisher. Me, I'm just kind of relaxing on the coastline. Maybe it's the amount of activity you put into a task that makes it meditative or just therapeutic. Because to me, chopping wood, I go on autopilot. Like it's like you know, like you said with the car, where you're like, oh, how do I get here? A lot of times I chopped wood and I've done that. Like, oh, how did I get here? I didn't even know I was doing like did this much. It's constant. So I I don't I don't think if your mind if you can't if you have to do some focusing on your brain, your brain just doesn't do an autopilot. I wouldn't count it as meditative. Yeah, I would agree. Like what you're saying, because what what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is these activities require like the bare minimum of, of inputs. Just enough to get what like you're what you're focused on, like to keep to keep you from thinking that you're you're bored. So you're you're not just like, oh, this is boring. You are entertained, but you're also not completely like you don't need to complete uh, devote your complete attention to what's at hand. You can let your mind wander. We're talking about simple tasks as meditative, even though simple tasks is what leads to boredom. It's everything in moderation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, it's just how you look about it. Like, But I think we both agree that meditation nothingness allows your mind to wander. Yes, I think we, we can agree on that statement. Like, it, That's the purpose of boredom and meditation is to let your mind wander. Yeah. Which begs the question of what kind of motherfuckers actually just turn off the brain completely and aren't able to think there are there are some people that i came across this that don't when they're bored or they're like meditating or like whatever have no thoughts their brain just turns off my first thought is oh it's like a dream they just simply don't remember it but my tinfoil hat is they're drones like the birds on telephone poles exactly would you this is kind of random i'm kind of going off the books here but would you say if you're meditating and you get absolutely to nothingness like no thought you're just existing almost like you're asleep but awake do you think that's the most purest form of meditation like a, a moment where you're ceasing to I know exist I, I completely understand what you're saying but i i have no idea i mean i feel like that's the goal but that seems like a silly goal <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I well, I don't know. I think meditation goals are just different for everybody. Some people want to calm the storm. Some people want to uh, work th out through some things. Some people just want to relax. Some people just want to focus. Some people just want to be creative. I mean, being bored, thinking, just doing nothing tends to be more creative. And like we said, you can go to the park, just watch the clouds. I'd count that as meditative. Just sim I mean, God, just laying in the grass, watching the clouds. The clouds, that's so relaxing and so meditative maybe maybe the difference between nothingness and meditation and nothingness and boredom is one's relaxing and one you choose versus the other is not relaxing and you ha and the one you're forced to do yeah the difference between boredom and meditation is is choice <laughs> yeah that's uh that's an interesting one but 
Yeah, uh, all my SMI stuff are uh, are kind of getting into the deep ends and the crazy zone. I don't know if you're ready for that or if you had anything more on uh, meditation and boredom. Um, not really. Uh, we talked about most of it, but uh, I'm I'm curious to go more into the off the rails. I guess. I mean, I feel like we've already been all over the rails, but let's let's give it a shot. That's what I like to hear. All right, let's start off with electrocuting people. Apparently, there's some benefits to it. So an example of what I'm talking about is uh, daydreaming again, which is, to me, a fascinating, interesting enough topic. But if you stimulate the frontal lobe with a mild current, it makes people daydream more than usual, which I found very interesting because, I mean, shock therapy doesn't work, but it's been used in the past to set people straight, uh, quote unquote straight. But mild currents to the frontal lobe makes you daydream more. I'm wondering if in the future when we all have Neuralink, will our, will we be able to have a meditation button in our brain, a daydreaming button in our brain, a complex thought process sensor in our brain? Like, like activate this part of our brain to come up with random ideas and thoughts. So what you're asking is, can we put something in our heads to essentially turn us into a dairy cow of ideas? I mean, kind of like a, kind of like a, Oh, why am I blanking on it? Uh, the, his, the the help me, Nick, help me. I'm I'm struggling. Uh, uh, the answer of life is forty two. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, where he puts the lemon hat on and just squeezes more lemon to get more brain juice. I mean, you could theoretically put on a baseball cap that has electrical nodes in the front of the hat and runs a mild stimulant to that to make you daydream more. It had to be pretty mild. All I'm thinking of is that like little nine volt taser you put on the <laughs> bathroom door handle, and that's too much, I guess. That I never got tased, and I was like, "Oh, happy thought." <laughs> oh, maybe that's maybe maybe that's not me because I've definitely done like, "Ooh, that." I I've definitely hold people. I've definitely I've tried to hold shock pens to see if I can burn out the shock pen before my hand will let go. Yep, you're the brains of this operation for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'll, uh, making myself sound a little smarter. Um, people who are bored are more often people working or living in uh, environments with high amounts of stimulation. So like you said, Nick, uh, you're in the fire, it's a high level, and then it's down. So you're, you get bored easier because you're in that high stress zone. I would also like to add a statement to that of constant stimulation also increases boredom. I think too many of us reach for our cell phones, myself included, when we're bored rather than conquer it. Because conquering boredom, conquering and meditation has shown to have uh, uh, more discipline, more focus, l- less mind wandering, a healthier uh, body, just all these other things. So I don't think it's not just necessarily high amounts of stimulation, aka generally junkies or high stress job, but also simply overstimulation, just that constant click the con- the constant level never never having an off switch never having an off day yeah I, th- I think that's definitely definitely happening in our society and yeah i think the effects you know so you you go to work you're constantly stimulated and then you get bored you know you look at your phone for more stimulation you come home and your phone comes to take away the boredom because it uh you know you get that dopamine that's better than just sitting there doing nothing and then because but it also is like your brain's interacting with it so it's not nothingness or at least I, me personally it's not nothingness like i'm not 
scrolling through my phone. No, I'm being entertained. Yeah. Oh, what do you wait? What's your argument again? That cell phones and the constant stimulation is not boredom. Is not. A, yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm just saying, being constantly entertained, it makes it harder to be when we're not entertained. I was trying to agree yeah, with your exactly. statement, but you just said. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I, I thought I misunderstood your original statement. So. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's taken us out of that out of that area where you're you you have to devote too much attention to it. So it's no longer like you're just keeping your brain busy and the rest like the little bit of it, so that you're not bored. But now you're taking too much where your brain can't do other stuff in the background. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, Nick, I imagine with either our jobs, vacation, or camping, or whatever, once in a while your cell phone dies or you just leave your cell phone in your backpack and you're gone you go a couple days without your cell phone you feel amazing flip phone this thing never dies (laughs) unless it gets wet that's but yeah and it just feels amazing i don't know about you but sitting around a bonfire looking into a fire is very meditative to me and i don't know just that i wouldn't count that as entertainment like a cell phone watching a video is compared to watching just a fire it's like a fire i don't know feels like if you were just staring at a fire hours pass without you notice and your mind's just in your own head yep i completely agree i think uh yeah we had like we had friends over and you know we probably talked for like four or five hours straight and uh just hung out by the fire and it wasn't like there was no boredom there was no oh i need to reach my phone like (laughs) that's how this podcast started too (laughs) yeah and i and it was yeah it's definitely you know, there, there's a, a better interaction. You feel good. Like, you feel better when you don't, you know, have that phone. Because there's something about the phone that, like we talked about, it's, you're not, you're using more of your brain than you should when you look at it. So you're not able to, you know, be in nothingness, be like in a meditative state. You're just, you're focused on your phone and you, and it's not as fulfilling, I think, as when you do get into that nothingness state which it's not it's not like you can just get into it even being bored i don't know at least for me i feel like you need to have something to do like kind of active meditation i think it was yeah the word is for it that's a way better word than anything i could think of i don't think humans are meant to be consistently stimulated and consistently active i think we're supposed to have down period times of thought i think we're supposed to once in a while, take a break and smell the roses. And I don't think we're doing that enough, especially with something so easy in our pocket to keep us entertained like monkeys. That starves away the boredom, but the boredom might be the thing that's kind of saving us. Like, how many how many great ideas have you done when you're doing a mundane task? Like, going back to the shower thoughts. How many times have you had a great idea in the shower? Or right before you're going to bed when you're relaxing and kind of getting into that REM state where you're just like, that's how I solve that problem. That's like a meditative state when you're right before bed, you relax, whatever. Yeah, and I think all, like talking about this podcast, all of my really good ideas for whatever we're going to talk about come from like when I'm driving for work. Yeah, when, just you, thinking when you about zone out whatever. for two hours and you don't know. Yeah, when I <laughs> zone out for two hours. Yeah. We're both in our mid-20s, and I saw another interesting thing. I think we're in our late 20s, Mike. You are. You're older than me. Okay, well, time marches on. That's it, all I'm saying. It it really fucking does. Uh, but I saw an interesting thing that boredom is higher than in younger people 
than older people. And I call bullshit on that. Yes, children tend to be, they, they say, I'm so bored. This is boring. Yes, I agree with that. I think adults are just better at suffering in silence. I think it's because older people become accustomed to it. They're accustomed to the mundaneness, the in and out, the office space. I think they become accustomed to being docile. And as a children, we're not. I think boredom's the exact same. It's just how we act upon it is, is different. Which is, that, that statement I go with, that it's the same for both age groups, just how it's handled, apparently is against the grain. And I want to get your opinion on it, Nick. I'm thinking about it, and I'm trying to decide if I agree with you or disagree with you. So hear me out. I feel like each generation is more and more, quote-unquote, entertained with phones, games, blah, blah, blah. And each previous generation is like, I don't know how that generation can be so bored. And so I do feel... And I do kind of understand that, like, there's so much stimulus, like, how can you be bored? But at the same time, like we talked about, it's not a fulfilling boredom. And as you go back, you know, less and less technology, that boredom was probably a more fulfilling boredom, a more nothingness meditative boredom than it is now. So I think each new generation is more, more bored than before because it's a different kind of boredom and in the past with less access to technology it was more of a meditative boredom if i had to guess that's very interesting i never thought about it like different types of boredom i didn't never cross my mind i really like that aspect um to buy myself some time on this because i need to think about what you said um let's just compare something really relatively the same to each other uh being in school Versus being in an office. So say a 17-year-old in high school classroom being bored and a 24-year-old at an office space being bored. Very close in age group. I don't think just because you get older, you get more disciplined. I, I simply think you just learn to shut up. No one cares about it. You just, it's, it's the same boredom. It's just, it doesn't, age doesn't matter. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that statement. I do, but I also think that as you get older, like when you're at a, when you're at an actual job, you realize you can't afford to not pay attention. But when you're in school, you're just like, fuck it. You know, you're in high school. I mean, how many times you just like completely zone out. But I feel like once you get a little bit older, maybe just through lessons learned, you're like, okay, I do kind of need to pay attention. I do need to do this work. But I also agree. Yes, I am just as bored at work sometimes as I am when I was in high school. I got. I agree the same. I'm sorry I'm trying to fight you on every single No, 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 I agree, I agree with the same, no, I'm, I, I was honestly just trying to buy time to talk about the different types of boredoms, because I didn't think about, I don't know, for some reason I thought boredom, the boredom I feel, I feel like would be the same boredom in like the early 20th century, but that statement you said that the older generation would have a different type of boredom than the newer generation, that one made me think a little bit more, like, maybe the reason why Greeks and Romans had such a hard time with boredom is, maybe in 150 years, what we consider boredom won't be the same anymore. Maybe boredom is an evolutionary changing thing. And I'm wondering, one, yes, I definitely agree there's different types of boredom. But I wonder if boredoms are generational. And I wonder if boredom is evolving. Like with the same mundane tap, like um, chopping wood. Uh, chopping wood can get, I, I, I'm not, that's not the great example because I fucking love chopping wood. It's my favorite exercise, my favorite like relaxation thing to do. Uh, let's, let's choose a better one. Uh, balancing checkbooks. That's uh, so for most people, I mean, there's always the accountants and stuff like that who like balancing books, but balancing the books back in the day versus balancing the books now, for some reason in my mind, I thought 
they would feel the same type of boredom. But because they're so many centuries apart, the boredom might be felt differently. The boredom would be like, it, I don't know. That's just something that crossed my mind. That It's very interesting that boredom might not be generational. I mean, boredom might be generational and not universal. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, of being different through time. Like, I was more thinking of the technological aspect of it. I don't really know. Well, I think that that's a big factor of it. We know all the possibilities we have. Like, having so many choices can be overwhelming. Sometimes having few choices makes it life easier. But our boredom might be different because we have all this technology. We're able to do all these different things if we wanted to. It's so overwhelming. Our like our boredom becomes easier, more abstractively, because we don't choose anything. So we go we go towards, you know, watching a dumb video online versus a boredom back in the day. I mean, if you go far enough back, what do you get to do on a off-board day? I don't know. You get to go fishing, maybe hunting. That's productive. That's work. I mean, what's your, what are you going to do? I think, I think you're right, Nick, with the technology. It changed... I'm just thinking how boredom has changed throughout the centuries, though. I'm agreeing with you. That's 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 what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I'm just, I think, oh, yeah, I think technologically it, it's changed. And I think also, like when you're talking about like the Greeks and the Romans, that was more of a societal change where I'm, I feel like there's probably a similar, I mean, similar by our standards today, lifestyle, but you would still have, you know, you know boredom is more of how you look at it in that aspect compared to you know the different kinds of boredom today but maybe not maybe life was so good for you know upper class i'm gonna play uh, devil's advocate real quick like this is kind of might be a cinema might not be of actually real life but like the romans watching the gladiator fight like ugh, this fight to the death is so boring i mean nowadays a fight to the death are like oh shit holy shit oh my god it's almost mundane to them I don't, I, I don't know that was just my little food for thought yeah, that's true. I mean, but also death and violence was a more <laughs> commonplace, a bigger, a bigger <laughs> part of their life than it is today. Yeah, that, there's definitely an argument for them being accustomed and uh, adjacent to it. Well, speaking of killing and boredom, uh, it's not the smoothest transition I've ever had, but it's a good enough one. Snipers. I could not find any studies on how snipers deal with the mundaneness of sitting in a place or crawling on their belly for such a long time. Like the ment- the mental fatigue of doing slow movements or be able to stay focused for long periods of time on your target and not move. And then versus like killing time while you're wait while you're in an area and simply, you know, the hurry up and wait. I'm wondering how snipers deal with boredom or the type of mindset structure wise for brains that make a good sniper. Like are they better at boredom? Are snipers better at just zoning out and chilling and relax? That that I don't know. That just crossed my mine when researching this yeah i don't have an answer for you <laughs> <laughs> all right i just uh it's just uh it's a good question uh, though it is i would like to know because i think you can definitely be more accustomed to being bored but i also think like we talked about that activates your creative side you find an outlet for it some way or another hey cloud watching turn into meditation <laughs> yeah but uh, they're not always good like alcohol <laughs> well yeah like when i was we were when I was a firefighter, when we got bored, uh, let's see, we spent like multiple days just like hitting wasps with frisbees, which is a which is probably about the same as the uh, the electric yeah. <laughs> button. Yeah. It's a high risk, low reward. <laughs> but the, the we were trying of to men, high risk, yeah. low reward. We were trying to hit them into the water so that 
they couldn't fly anymore so that we could catch them and freeze them and tie ropes to them or tie little floss to them. You ever seen that where they tie the string to the bee because they always fly away from you? Yeah, that's what we were trying to do. I'm wondering on how many interesting things. How many lives have been lost due to people being bored? (laughs) Like Darwin Award is people being stupid. But what's the award for people being bored? Nick, I think we have a new a new segment of our show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, pretty much every a, a lot of good things came out of people being bored. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the ability to think in, in an abstract way. How much art, poetry, books, inventions, engineering, all came, all stemmed from boredom, meditation, shower thoughts. I think that they have to be astronomical. I I, I nearly uncountable. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like we talked about, you know, it's not always, I mean, you never be able to quantify that because everyone's boredom and nothingness is a, a, entirely like their own. You, I mean, we don't probably actively recognize when we're in that state. Oh, that's a very, yeah, that's a great statement. We're not conscious that we're subconsciously bored. I like that. Well, Nick, I got one more question for you. It's, um... It's a little political and it's a little dark, but we've done episodes on prisons and how that kind of affects people. Now we've done some stuff on boredom and how that mentally can hurt people. And I want to get your opinion on solitary confinement. I didn't do that much research into it. I just kind of want to get an initial reaction. We'll probably save it for an episode of itself with when we do prison. But after reading all these scientific papers about the negative things boredoms can do and the physical harm it can do to your body. I don't know if solitary confinement should be as common as it is. I, I definitely agree solitary confinement, you know, to separate people from hurting themselves, hurting other people, definitely necessity. But solitary confinement is a punishment simply in itself. I don't know. It, I guess it comes down to, and me personally, why buy you time to think is, is it, are we doing a correction facility or a punishment facility? I, I guess that sounds too, but man, solitary confinement, especially back in the old days, when they would leave you in a box for days, months, years. I mean, now I think, if I remember correctly, the Constitution, not the Constitution, there's a law where you're at least let out once a week for religious purposes, like for Sunday, church, whatever. But imagine being in a solitary confinement for months, if not years, depending on what country you're in. That boredom, that must drive some people mad, and I don't know... If solitary confinement should be as commonplace as they are. And I want to know your opinion about it, Nick. So I guess what you're saying is it is cruel and unusual punishment now that we know the effects of boredom. Mm, That's not exactly. I still think it should be used in certain cases. I just, I think it should, should it be used as regular? I guess how regular is it used? It's a good question. Um, from what I can understand, that's depending on prison and jail. Uh, it's also depending on what what facility. If it's like a high, uh, low class, high class, middle class facility, um, I just don't know if reaching for solitary confinement for long periods of time should be the first thing you grab out of the bag. Yeah, well, let's. I'm just reading about it real quick, and it's unsurprisingly, men spend more time in solitary than women. I feel like that's pretty. I could have guessed that myself. Thank you, <laughs> Thanks, I'll go for the internet. Now <laughs> I could tell some stuff I know. Okay, so 
80,000 prisoners are held in solitary confinement in the U.S., and about 25,000 of them are in long-term solitary confinement. It's one of the harshest punishments. Um, 25,000 in long-term solitary confinement? Yes. That's so. That's a lot. That's a university. So this is saying solitary confinement, increase a person's pr- propensity for violence, psychosis, depression, hallucination, and panic attacks. Um, so it started out uh, as a humane alternative in order to give prisoners time to think about their crimes. <laughs> so did shock therapy. He started off as a humane <laughs> alternative. And same with lobotomies. Doesn't mean it's actually true. I don't get me wrong. I still think there's a place for solitary confinement. I still think it necessary. I just don't know with the knowledge we know now is that's the first thing we go for. Because 80,000 seems like a lot. Yeah. And I'll give you an extreme example of that. Um, one dude was in solitary for 20 years. And so for 23 to 24 hours a day, he had no contact with the human being. And when, then he'll be released back into society. How how the fuck is that going to work? <laughs> it's a vicious... Is that in the U.S. or is that a different country? Uh, I believe it's in the U.S. God Cannot damn it. confirm. Yeah. The, uh... But that's from a while ago, so I don't know what... I don't know what the current status is. This is from 2011, so who, you know, who knows? <laughs> He's probably your neighbor, Nick. Who knows? Probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I kind of agree with you. I think there's a, a time and a place. Like, there's a time and a place for everything. Um, I think this goes back to the prisons one, where what's the... Is the purpose of prisons to house criminals, or is it for, you know, to re... Uh, rehabilitate people uh, i don't know i think that yeah it's a case-by-case basis i mean you know if you're a person who can't interact with people in prison then you know you leave someone no choice and you're gonna get sent to solitary and then i think but also like as a punishment like if that's your sentence i feel like the death sentence is nicer i don't, I don't know yeah that's just me again i think it comes back to meditation versus boredom i mean some people actively go I mean, <laughs> that's actually us, Nick. Actively go out in the middle of nowhere to avoid people, to the peaceful kind of relaxation of nothingness out in the woods. And then some people are forced into absolute darkness and nothingness in solitary confinement. I guess boredom, meditation, religion, of praying, that's all some forms of nothingness. Just, just how you spin it, I guess. Yeah, it's all... It's your choice, I guess. What, what did we say earlier? The difference between uh, boredom and meditation is choice. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's that should be a t-shirt, Nick. We should make that. That's a good one. Well, that's all I have, Nick, unless you have anything more. Nope, that's all I had before you get out of here, Mike. Uh, what are you reading? I am still reading The 48 uh, Laws of Power by Robert Greene. I apologize, everyone. I've been just busy. It's been hard to get to the books. What about you, Nick? What are you reading? Uh, I started a new book thinking that maybe then I would have more time to read it. A little, not as intricate read as The Savage Wars of Peace. Uh, it's The Collector. It's about David Douglas, one of the scientists, botanists, to you know, go come after Lewis and Clark and classify species of the western U.S. and bring them back to everyone. Uh, the Douglas fir is named after him. A lot of different plants are named after this guy. And uh, really excited to read it. But haven't made it very far. Maybe because the, but, uh, you're getting too bored, Nick. Did I? <laughs> uh, but I do have a question for our listeners. What's your opinion on nothingness? Do you think nothingness? Do you think out of nothingness something can form? 
a big bang and big bang inside of our own brains and also what's our people's opinion on the boredom with snipers i'm very interested about that one i wish i could find something on that i'm wondering how if you're a sniper tell us how you deal with boredom because i'm very curious on that one and nick where could they tell where could they find and tell us uh the answer to those questions can find us on uh reddit reddit and youtube instagram <laughs> and, and instagram and youtube sorry i'm bored <laughs> <laughs> all i can say is uh, when you're bored please don't reach for twitter because no great ideas ever come out of twitter that is a firm as a fact thank you all for listening hope you're hope we didn't bore you out of your minds Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram 